Hey everybody, it's time for the Mainland Podcast once again, and uh, I am Michael Citro. Joining me, as always, pretty much always, uh, Andrew Marcinko. Andrew, how are you doing tonight? Hey Michael, good to talk to you again. So Andrew and I were at the uh, inaugural game on Sunday, Orlando City SC versus New York City FC. And uh, first thing I wanted to ask you about tonight, Andrew, is uh, you know that electric atmosphere that we saw, the, the bowl full of 62,510 screaming fans in purple, and um, just give me your overall impressions of, uh, of Sunday's opener. Yeah, I mean, it was it was incredible all around. Uh, obviously, you know, most of our fans probably found their way there. Of 62,000 people, I would assume many of them were our readers. But if you weren't, it was incredible. It really was full. There weren't really any empty, empty seats anywhere. Um, it seemed like just about every seat in the house was taken. Honestly, if I had to pick one disappointment of the whole night, it's that the uh, the press box doesn't have open windows, so I couldn't really hear the fan noise as much as I would like to. I was uh, <laughs> I was sitting up there secretly wishing I was uh, uh, down amongst the supporters groups. Yeah, it's um, you got to walk that fine line between being able to be quiet enough to write and also um, you know being able to to feel the electricity of the crowd and and you're a little insulated in there. I agree with you. Um, but you can certainly hear it and feel it when Kaká put the free kick in in the 91st minute. Um, the whole place kind of erupted, and you know, then you knew you weren't just watching it on TV or you know, feeling like you were watching it on TV. You knew you were there once uh, once everybody kind of lost their minds. Um, well, you know, as, as press, we're we're supposed to kind of keep a straight face and not cheer or support <laughs> the team. But I think I even saw uh, Mike Bianchi get out of his chair a little bit when Kaká scored that goal. So it was. Uh, the whole stadium really just erupted. Yeah, it was it was really a great moment for the club and for the city. Um, I think in many respects, well, we can get into this now too. We can talk a little bit about the overall game itself. I thought, uh, by and large, I thought Orlando City was uh, played like the better team most of the game. I thought uh, New York City had some good spells uh, early in the second half, but for the most part, I thought. Uh, Orlando City basically always looked like they were about one dangerous pass away from really taking control of the game. Uh, maybe a little bit of uh, timing issues with uh, Carlos Rivas at forward because he hadn't played much uh, in the preseason and not at all at forward. Um, th- that was a big surprise. I, I know it was for me. How about for you? Yeah, definitely, definitely a shock for just about everyone involved. We had talked about it a little bit. We spoke to some coaches at some point, and people had mentioned that they saw him as a forward more than a winger. But over the last month or so, he, he had only played on the left wing. I, I don't think I ever saw him play up top for us. So even though the coaches had mentioned it when he was first being signed, it was definitely a shock to see him start the game there on Sunday. Yeah, and and a little bit of a mixed bag for Carlos Rivas. I thought he, he really did look dangerous with his quickness and speed. He's got a rocket uh, of a shot. Uh, came very, very close to scoring on uh, from a tough angle once. Um, but, of course, there was uh, the situation of, of being offside, and I think a lot of that was timing and, and not being having his teammates used to him yet. And um, he also drew a lot of fouls. So I think overall, uh, you know, a positive game from Carlos Rivas up top. Yeah, our columnist uh, Sean Rollins made a great point this week in his column uh, in that most of those offsides had more to do with the midfielders holding the ball a second too long than it really did Rivas um, being in a bad position. Yeah, and when you have a quick forward like that who's you know pretty dynamic, um, you know it, it only takes a split second 
hesitation to be offside. So if you don't have that timing and, and that understanding of when he's going to go and how quickly he's going to go and how quickly he's going to get there, you know, that can, that can throw things off. And he was offside five times, which I'm sure was frustrating for the fans at home. But um, I would say this is not or should not be considered like a long-term problem. It will most likely be a situation that gets uh, fixed as this team plays more and more um, with Carlos and, and as he's you know, healthy and able to train with the team. They'll get those runs down and the timing of that, that down, and, and I'm not too worried about that. Are you? No, no, me neither. I don't think the offside thing is a big issue. I actually uh, asked Kaká that on the press conference today. I asked him what he thought about all the offsides, if he thought it was an issue, and he more or less just brushed it off and simply said, nope, mm-hmm. not an issue at all. We'll work on it at training this week. Not a problem, and pretty much what you'd expect. Uh, but I do agree with you. I think Orlando was and looked like the better team for the majority of the 90 minutes on the pitch. Just uh, a couple bad strokes of luck, one bad defensive play, one bad red card. Uh, that it took some luck to get the point, but I would agree we were the better team for most of the match. Yeah, and I don't want to discount um, a, a, a good game by Josh Saunders at net for New York City. He really made a great save on Kevin Molino uh, to just barely push a, a shot inches wide. Um and he, he uh, fought off a, a, a rocket that Kaká launched, uh, even though it was right at him. I mean, it was still he had to fight that thing off. So good game for him. Uh, ta- uh, you know, I'm going to tip my cap to Josh Saunders. I thought he played a great game. And I talked to last week's podcast guest Rafa uh, from Hudson River Blue, and he agreed that Saunders had a really, really good game. And he also agreed that Orlando looked like the better team for much of the game. So uh, I want to ask you now, Andrew, who who kind of stuck out as a surprise for you out there on the field on Sunday? Well, obviously, we talked about Revis being a big surprise up top, but I think it's worth mentioning uh, Seb Hines, who came in and put in a really solid uh, performance at the center back position. Um, he, he was solid defensively, didn't really get beat. Um, the goal came from the other side of the pitch that he, he wasn't uh, wasn't on. He was also very, very good in the attacking end in the air. He had a header just wide of the net within, I think, the first 90 seconds or so of the match that was mm-hmm. probably closer than it looked. So I think for a guy that nobody really knew what to expect from, and I believe it was his first uh, MLS match in his career, I thought he put a pretty solid performance out there in the back line. Yeah, and I thought it was nice of him to introduce himself to Josh Saunders very early in the game. Um, right. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, <laughs> Josh Saunders might have played well, but I'm not sure he remembers it. So, uh. <laughs> Right, right. Uh, for those of you that didn't see the game, maybe, um, Seb Hines uh, collided early on a free kick uh, with Saunders and thought he had scored uh, the first game, uh, the game's first goal. I actually talked to him after the game. He said he thought he'd scored. Didn't hear the whistle because the crowd was so loud. And everybody we talked to said that the crowd was amazing. Um, uh, but he, you know, he, he crashed into Saunders, Saunders back of the back of Saunders head hit the post and, you know, he came down, didn't hear anything and couldn't hear the whistle. So he found the ball at his feet and did what he's supposed to do, put it in the net. Uh, but it did not count, unfortunately. And, um, so he didn't, you know, he doesn't become the trivia question, uh, answer of who scored the first MLS goal for Orlando city. I, I agree with you. I thought Heinz played a good game. Um, he was solid, not spectacular. You didn't hear his name called a lot on the defensive end, which is usually a good thing. And on the offensive end, you did notice him, which is a good thing as well. He he did he was pretty commanding in the air, I thought. So uh, a good good call. I think he's the one that surprised me the most as well. So uh, you know we can't really talk about this game without talking about um, the bookings, really, because they they played a factor in the game. There were three yellow cards, obviously, for simulation on Orlando City. Uh, 
Aurelian Collins red. I think you and I both agree that he he earned that red card, although he would argue with you. Um, you know, and we know he's a big House of Cards fan, and I just didn't realize he was building his own House of Cards uh, uh, while he's with Orlando City. Reds in back-to-back games. He will not play Friday against Houston. What did you think of the yellow cards for simulation? Did you agree with all of them, some of them, none of them? <laughs> yeah, I'm probably not going to make a, a ton of friends or Orlando City fans here, but I, I thought they were, for the most part, pretty fair. The one I had a problem with was was Kevin Molino's because I thought that he was, was shoved before he sort of dived on the tackle. I think the referee should have brought it back for the initial foul and kind of ignored what what did actually look a little bit like a dive. But I thought with the Guida, yeah, there was a little contact, but I thought he kind of left his feet to go to ground before the contact. And I think, you know, most people agree that Shays was a pretty clear dive. Even Breck Shea looked like he kind of got up and knew what was coming after the foul. So I thought the Molina one should have been brought back for the original push, but the other two I'm pretty okay with as uh, as yellow cards for simulation. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think the weakest of the bunch was for Kevin Molino. Um, I do think uh, Shea, you know, I, I'm not going to defend Brex. Um, yellow for, for diving. Uh, Igita, I'm, I'm not completely convinced it was a yellow. Uh, I do think he left his foot in, but I do think he also got clipped. So I think it's, it's one of those things where if you're not going to give the penalty, just let them play on, you know. Well, it's just... And, you know, I think Taylor Twelman made the point at some point, too. It, it's not that it's bad that they're diving. It's bad that they're not good at diving. Like, <laughs> I, I think Iquita could have earned a penalty because the foot was in there. Um, uh-huh. Guys like Arjun Robin make a living doing that, where they just subtly drag their foot into the foot, and then mm-hmm. they go down. Aguida made the mistake of sort of starting to go down before there was contact. But even the Ronaldos of the world are very good at that, where they, they'll sell that so it becomes a clear penalty. And Aguida didn't quite sell it enough for me. So, yeah, we can get on our, our high horse here and talk about diving and soccer being <laughs> the worst thing in the world. But, you know, it's there. So if you're going to try, let's at least do it right near the PK next time. <laughs> And you don't have a problem with Colin getting the red card there, obviously. No, you know, I, I thought it was a little soft. I, I It wasn't the hardest tackle I've ever seen, but you can't argue with the red card on it. I, you know, when I first saw it, I said maybe yellow, maybe red, right in between, but I wouldn't mm-hmm. I wouldn't pick a fight with the ref over it. All right, well, you know, uh, it's going to be an interesting back line then uh, against Houston. So only game number two, the team hasn't really completely gelled yet, and now you're going to be asking... Seb Hines and probably Sean St. Ledger to man the the two center back spots and your depth player on the bench is probably going to be Connor Donovan uh, so you're not going to have a whole lot of experience and really uh, I think between the three of them one game and one minute of MLS experience <laughs> at your center backs yep that's kind of scary uh, against a Houston team that's got a lot of really good attacking players. And let's get a, into Houston a little bit. They've got Giles Barnes. They've got uh, Will Bruin. They've got Boniac Garcia, uh, Brad Davis. I mean, just a lot of ways they can hurt you. Yeah, he, you know, Houston had an off year last year. I think they finished up uh, uh, eighth place in the conference, I think. So didn't make the playoffs the first time in a few years. Uh, not ideal, but they have some talent on there. I'm frankly, you know, looking over the roster the last few days, a little bit surprised they managed to finish so poorly last season. Yeah, and uh, their their coach uh, left to go to San Jose. They brought in Owen Coyle, who used to uh, manage in the Premier League. And, 
you know, it's this is a team that we've saw in the preseason, but we really don't get a good read on what they bring to the table from the, the that game because again, um, Colin got red carded early, uh, Rivas got red carded in the second half, so you know the team was down a man from almost you know for most of the game they were down one man, and for a good chunk of the game they were down two. Uh, I thought in the early going, I mean, you can't really take much out of a preseason game, but I thought in the early going, Orlando City controlled the play and the possession, and it was only when they got a turnover uh, that they were able to counterattack, get a goal, and then, you know, seconds later, they get the the penalty to to go up 2-0 and effectively put the game away. Um, I did watch their game against Columbus. Did you uh, get a chance to see that, Andrew? Only the highlights. I didn't watch the full match. And it was very similar to the first, you know, 25 minutes of the preseason game. Um, Houston absorbed a lot of pressure from Columbus, uh, and they counterattacked. They always looked dangerous on the counterattack, but they didn't have long spells of possession. They conceded possession to Columbus for much of the night. Tyler Derrick, their goalkeeper, when you see what he did against Columbus last week, you you understand why they felt they could let uh, Tally Hall go and, and join another team because uh, Tyler Derrick has been pretty amazing uh, since coming in for Houston. He was amazing last year, and he was amazing uh, to start this season. And uh, I think that it's going to be interesting to see if Houston allows Orlando City you know, to have possession and then wait for them to make a mistake again. Yeah, and I, you know, I included the link to his night on the uh, the preview we put together from that because it was truly spectacular. I, I think he deserved votes for Player of the Week kind of thing in MLS. It was just four or five just spectacular saves to even keep Houston in that game that I thought Columbus, you know, from the highlights I watched, had the better of more or less. Um, but yeah, you, you understand why they were okay letting Hall go with that guy backing him up. Yeah, uh, so it's the first road game. In Orlando City history, how does uh, how do the Lions respond uh, from the one-one tie going into Houston? I know your prediction in the match preview is going to tick off a lot of Orlando City fans. Uh, you said two two nil to the Dynamo. How does uh, how does Orlando City avoid the two nil defeat and 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 somehow pull out um, a result there at Houston? I seem to seem to make a habit of ticking off Orlando City fans. That's like the third time this podcast. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, they, they've got to be the favorite team here. They're playing at home. They won their first week. They're really a veteran squad. They're all seasoned MLS vets for the most part, almost throughout mm-hmm. the whole starting 11. And, you know, if you're going to be honest, that's not a game Orlando is going to be favored to win on the road against a veteran MLS team. And we're starting a back line with no experience, a bunch of your young players in a few different positions, going to be some issues. I think what Orlando needs to do, and it's sort of, you broached it a minute ago, is it's going to be a, a good offense is going to be our best defense. If we can hold the ball successfully up there and keep them on the back foot without the giveaways that plagued us the first time we played and without the giveaways um, that Houston was able to capitalize against Columbus, we might just have a chance. Particularly with that, you're looking at the fullbacks. Uh, Kofi Sarkodi and Demarcus Beasley of uh, U.S. national team fame are very talented players, and both of them a lot of time would rather be forward than defending, particularly Beasley, uh, who also has Brad Davis, also of U.S. national team fame, on the left side with him. What you can do to stop those two players is to have Rafael Ramos, the right fullback for Orlando, get forward. If he is forward, Beasley has to stay back and defend. 
you're looking at a dangerous situation if you're asking Ramos to sit back and defend Davis and DeMarcus Beasley on his own. Yeah, and we, you know, you and I watching uh, the game Sunday, we noticed Ramos had had acres of space on the right and was uh, a little timid about getting forward at times, I thought. Yep, we talked about that. It looked like definitely he sort of sort of knew that Breck Shea was going to be more of the attacking fullback and Ramos had a little more responsibility to stay back on defense. Um, partly goes in a little bit with who's on whose side. Lewis Neal, a little more of a holding two-way player who's more comfortable supporting on defense, whereas mm-hmm. Kevin Molino is bordering on a second striker on the right side, so there's a lot less support over there for Ramos. So just sort of the way it works out positionally. But that that side's definitely got to be the concern there for Orlando. Is that how how will Ramos and more attack minded Kevin Molino deal with Beasley and Beasley and uh, Brad Davis coming in attack? Yeah, well, it'll be an interesting game. I mean, you're right. They they have a lot of veterans. They have uh, Ricardo Clark even, right. uh, who's who's played for the U.S. men's national team. We've, you know, in addition to Davis and guys like that and Beasley. Uh, you know, you look at their lineup and you go, wow, it must have just been an off year for them last year because they, they really look like a playoff team if you look at the roster only. The interesting thing is this year, and the good thing is that Orlando City does concede points to Houston. It's not a conference opponent. They are in the West this year. Right. So, uh, as they should be. All right, well, we've got a new uh, segment this week. We're going to start off with, uh, it's called Ask the Mainland, where you can send us your questions. You can ask us about the team. You can ask us about uh, life in general. You can ask us where you should go on your honeymoon. It doesn't really matter. Just ask the mainland something, and uh, we will be happy to answer your questions. Uh, So we've got some questions, Andrew, from Twitter, and um, I'm going to start off with uh, Twitter follower T-Roy says, uh, it looked like a lot of the Lions' turnovers were on lazy touches and not moving feet on passes on the attacking side. Is this true? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, yes, but let's chalk that up to being the the first game so early in the season. It doesn't matter if you're in the EPL, uh, MLS, whatever league in the world you're in, playing your first match of the season, there's going to be some rough touches. Um, mm-hmm. Even the first, the first few matches, the first month, really, in just about any league is generally at a lot lower level um, than most. So, yes, that's true, but I don't think that's something that's, you know, going to be a permanent problem with their team after we could uh, iron out the kinks here for the first few weeks. Yeah, and uh, Adrian Heath said the team's still a work in progress. Uh, you're not going to put together 23 guys and get them on the same page in six weeks. Uh, but I thought I, I wouldn't say there were lazy touches so much as I think rust and a lack of cohesion that will get better over time, um, and and you know some youth and let's face it, sixty-two thousand people in the stands, probably some jitters. Uh, the good thing that I thought was that they didn't have a whole lot of devastating turnovers like they they did in the uh, Charleston uh, the, the matches in Charleston. They had some really bad turnovers that, that led to to golden scoring chances, and I thought. For the most part, this you know this past week, I thought for the most part they they recovered well from those. Yep, I agree. Uh, we've got a question from Sean Stefan who wants us to rank the Lion King movies. Now, now I saw this one, and frankly, I I find it offensive. The ranking is this: the original Lion King is number one. Every other Lion King movie is unranked. I refuse to even like designate them with the ranking. They're not making the tournament. They're not in March Madness. They're they're out somewhere. The original is the only one you need to see. 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure that just like Caddyshack 2, no other Lion King movies exist. <laughs> right. That's that's it's just it's one and then one and done. Yeah. Uh <laughs> so let's see what else we got here. Uh Daniel Erickson wants to know can Rivas learn to stay on side and become the scorer that we know him to be. I think we we already addressed this, but uh you want to give it another go. Do, do we know him to be a scorer? I, I haven't seen him score yet, so that's a bold, bold take to designate him a scorer already after one scoreless game. But yeah, we talked mm-hmm. about it. It's, it's more to do with the, the time it's taking to get the touches to him than actually him. I think they'll get that down in a couple of games here. Yeah, well, I think we know him to be a scorer in uh, his his homeland. Uh, you know, he, that's true. he did score that's true. he did score a lot for his his uh, club his club uh, in his homeland, Colombia. So, uh, yeah, I think he'll he'll they'll get that ironed out, and I think he'll be really really dangerous. Um, Reagan J. Starner would like to know why do coaches keep insisting that Breck Shea play left back? Well, I mean, that's sort of where where soccer is right now. Is there, there's a big push for fullbacks. You'll see it in England. You see it in in Spain. All the big leagues in the world, and the MLS included, there's been this push for the fullbacks to be contributing attacking players. The fullbacks are the left and right back. Um, for less familiar with the terminology there, but guys like Demarcus Beasley for the United States has moved back there and found some pretty good success. You'd look at you know. Guys like Danny Alves and, and uh, Bakri Sanya in the, in the EPL, guys that are primarily attacking players, playing fullback. It's been used to great effect in a lot of leagues, so that's the idea here. Put a player who's primarily an attacking player into the left-back role and see if he can bring you that extra that extra push forward. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the reason you do insist that is because you see what has happened with Robbie Rogers. And, uh, you know, he was, a, he was a winger throughout his career, wasn't, terribly effective but one thing he did do very well was he got the ball forward down the line and was able to get crosses into the box uh he wasn't terribly great at finishing so you move him back and he can still do all the things that he does well and uh, you know then i'll freeze you up to give up uh give up his position to somebody else that can do those things better now brexier isn't a bad finisher but i think if adrian heats wants to put his best 11 players on the field and play the system that he wants to play uh, with his best eleven guys, then you you have to give Breck Shea a, a try out there and, and see how it works out. And I think so far it's starting to work. I don't think it's as good as it's going to get, but I think it's working. And I would I would say I'm not personally necessarily convinced that uh, Breck Shea is better at left back than left mid. But to answer the question of why we keep trying him there, uh, if anything, with a guy you know with a guy like Lewis Neal who can play some defense and doesn't necessarily want to attack. Breck Shea is almost going to spend more time forward than Neil is. I would bet if you looked at the positional map that they don't have in front of me, uh, Breck Shea was probably just as far forward on average as Lewis Neal was on the night. So it sort of still leaves him as an attacking player, but just creates mm-hmm. sort of a different overlapping dynamic with whoever the midfielder is. Right. I wouldn't get too hung up on it until he starts, um, you know, failing as a defender. And I don't. I, th- I thought he had a, r- a rather good game on Sunday. In fact, he he thwarted. Uh, a Kyrie Shelton run that I thought was for sure going to be a goal. So, yep. Um, yep. you know, he, he looked pretty good on that. He got back, he kept his composure, didn't foul, didn't give up a penalty, didn't give up the goal. Uh, and it was a nice play by Breck Shea. Uh, let's see, last question. I think Garrett Weiss wants to know if any chance you guys will get on SoundCloud. That's uh, something that we may be doing, but our focus right now is to try to uh, – 
get a little bit better here, a little bit better toehold at Blog Talk Radio, and also get on iTunes, which Blog Talk Radio is going to help us do. So we hope to be on iTunes very, very soon. And if SoundCloud follows, then it follows. But um, at this point, you know, we're still, this is only like our fifth one. Uh, yeah, this is episode number five. So uh, I think, you know, baby steps. Right now we're just trying to get up and going, and uh, we'll we'll have more announcements about the podcast as we go. I think this has definitely been the best one so far, though. So, yeah, I think so. <laughs> we just keep getting better. Um, oh, yeah. So, anyway, uh, thanks for your questions. You know, if you want to, uh, you can email us at themainland.com. Uh, or I'm sorry, the mainland at gmail dot com. Uh, you can ask us questions. Just put uh, ask TML in the subject line, or you can ask us on Twitter at our uh, the mainland account, uh, right there uh, in the Twitter sphere. So uh, thanks for your questions, and uh, hope you enjoyed this first ever inaugural. That was redundant. Inaugural. <laughs> ask the mainland. All right, joining us this week on the Mainland Podcast, our guest is Derek Stowers. He's a staff writer with Dynamo Theory. They are uh, an SB Nation blog, just like the Mainland. They cover, as you might have guessed, the Houston Dynamo. Derek, thanks for being with us this week. Yeah, no problem. Happy to be here. So I wanted to ask you, I watched that crazy game uh, last week between uh, Houston Dynamo and the Columbus Crew, and uh, I'm actually from Columbus, and so I... I followed the crew for a long time and I I was uh I was kind of amazed at how much pressure Columbus was able to keep on Houston all night and yet still lose the game. <laughs> what did you uh what did you make of that? Uh well the I thought there are two really distinct styles uh of play that we saw with Houston. We saw the the starting lineup that went out was sort of what we were used to last year which was a 4-4-2 with Will Bruin, Giles Barnes up top. And that whole first 50 minutes or so, the game seemed pretty back and forth. Columbus was allowed to get in a little bit, but Houston didn't really give in as much as they did. And as soon as they subbed out Bruin, they put on Miranda, uh, Oscar Boniac-Garcia. He started playing this, I think I call it a shadow striker role, because he's playing next to uh, Barnes, but also coming in. So it's sort of a hybrid 4-5-1, 4-4-2. Mm-hmm. And as soon as they did that, the game opened up offensively for the Dynamo. But it sort of collapsed defensively. So <laughs> that's that's when Tyler Derrick had to, you know, have this Herculean effort that, you know, kept the win for the Dynamo. But, you know, outside of that, I'm not... It's still a work in progress, sort of. <laughs> um, looking at, uh, at at Will Bruin up top, he sort of mm-hmm. had, I guess, a bit of an off year last year. You know, he's just scored, I think, 10 goals in the season, but maybe not quite the breakout year people were expecting for him. Uh, are you expecting a lot from him this year? Do you think he has a chance to lead the team in goals, and how worried should Orlando be? Uh, with Will Bruin, it, right now... He'll he'll be a go-to guy, but you know, as soon as we get uh, Kubo Torres in, he's going to be looked at as sort of the odd man out in the the whole equation. He still 
one of these natural goal, uh, goal scorers. He's sort of a poacher because he has trouble, uh, you know, doing taking things on by himself. But I mean, put him in front of in front of a goal, and he'll do work. Um, in this game, I think that uh, he could do well. It, it it all depends. I mean, if they decide to sub him out early again to see the formation change, he might be a non-factor. But if they stick with him, then He's dangerous. Yeah, Derek, I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, the lineup that we're going to see on uh, on Friday night. Uh, you you sent me your uh, your best guess at the at the projected starting eleven, but I want to I wanted to ask for for our fans that are watching the game uh, this weekend. You know, which guy or guys you take them out and you, and you go oh like if you if you as a Houston fan you take that person out out of the lineup and you go oh crap. We're kind of screwed. Is it is it Boniac Garcia? Is it Giles Barnes? Is it a combination? Is it Davis? You know, uh, who is the who's the glue? Well, I'm I'm big uh, Davis fan, and I think he's the guy that makes this team go. When you know he says jump, everyone else sort of says how high, and I think losing him, even though. The team last week didn't really revolve around him. Anytime he's not on the field, the team really lacks sort of a leadership quality that, you know, that he provides. And outside outside of him, you know, you get guys like Boniak. He's dangerous. Barnes, you know, the leading goal scorer last year, he's huge. But I think Davis, he's the guy that they need the most. Well, to change the subject a little bit, what are your thoughts on your new manager, Owen Coyle, so far? Obviously, it was his first game in MLS uh, uh, this week. This will be a second against Orlando. Any thoughts? How are you feeling about him so far? Well, uh, I, I I like Coyle. I think he's not a huge departure from Dominic Kinnear, and I'm a big Dominic Kinnear fan. Uh, the, the biggest difference, I think, between the two is Coyle, mid-game or game-to-game, is going to be a, a manager that changes things up. Dominic Kinnear, you know, always went out and put what he thought was the strongest lineup, and he wouldn't experiment or deviate from that too much. But Coyle, he likes to play the matchups and experiment a little bit. So that's something... For you know, Dynamo fans that are looking for sort of a departure from Kinnear or looking for something new, that's something that they can get excited about, even though that the two aren't all that different. And so far, I mean, we did have to sit back and defend a whole lot last week, but you know, I we ended up getting the three points, and at the end of the day, if it's a pretty game or not, the three points is what matters the most. Yeah, that's what it's all about, uh, Derek. The you know the preseason game obviously between the two teams, uh, you can basically throw it away because of the the red card situation and what happened um, up in Charleston. Um, but from what we've seen as Orlando fans, you know that have seen both that and the Houston game last week against Columbus, you know we saw early possession by the by Houston's opposition and then Houston countering off of that. Is Owen Coyle coaching up a counter 
attacking style where his, he wants his team to absorb pressure, wait for a mistake, and pounce on it? Or is that just a, you know what happened with the the circumstances of that those two games, and he would rather have them on the front foot throughout the match and and, and controlling possession? What you know what is what is the Owen Coyle style? Owen Coyle wants that front foot possession style, and as the sort of the counter, the absorbing pressure and counterattack that you know you saw in the preseason and we continue to see is really a result of the central midfield pairing of Luis Garrido and Ricardo Clark. You know, when one of them, I mean, the two are just, they make it tough for anyone coming in the, up the, the spine of the midfield. I mean, one of them will go in for a tackle and Garrido's known for his big tackles. But if he misses his tackle, Ricardo Clark is right there to pick it up. So they're really good at absorbing that pressure and halting advances in the midfield. So that kind of style of play is just inevitable when you pair those two together. But how they move forward offensively really depends on how they're set up in their formation and whether or not they're up a man. <laughs> yeah, I guess that was going to be my follow-up question, is that of those two, is one of them more forward than the other one typically, or do they both sort of interchangeably move up and back? Uh, Ricardo Clark is the one that gets forward a little bit more. He did that with Dominic Kinnear. He's the much stronger passer of the two, and I think the more intelligent and quicker player. Garrido, very good defensively. He's a little sloppy at times, but I think Clark covers for him. But, yeah, when they're advancing the ball, what we saw against Columbus was Ricardo Clark, the first half of that game, was my man of the match just because he was the only guy on the field advancing the ball. The whole team kind of just wanted to stick, you know, Columbus's possession-based style and halt them there. But he was the only guy getting them out, pushing the ball up. So, yeah, he's, he's that guy. Well, let me, now, get, let me we know you a follow-up question here. Talking about Ricardo Clark, I'm looking at the lineup here, and I see five starters that are going to be over 30. Um, is that a concern for you guys this season? Do you worry that's going to affect uh, stamina here in the early season? Um, I, I, I don't think it's a concern. Um, I've been around to the, uh, the training and everything and everyone looks perfect. I mean, you know, Davis is still kicking balls and putting them on a dime. Cardo Clark, he's still, he, you know, runs like a gazelle. It's amazing. Um, Beasley still hasn't doesn't look like he's lost too much of a step. Positionally, positional awareness, I think, is he's still getting used to since he didn't play a whole lot of last season with us and new manager. But some of that's coming together. I don't think age right now is really too much of a factor. And hopefully some of that helps transition them to that possession-based style because they've been around the game a little bit longer. Right, Derek. Uh, or, uh, you know, we saw Tyler Derek. Uh, you know, we know he's a great goalkeeper. 
where we, we don't really know much about is Houston's uh, back line. Where where is their strong point and where is their weak point among that back four? Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's a very similar back line to last year, which was really our number one need-to-fix spot. But Kofi Sarkoti, he draws a lot of comparisons to DeAndre Yedlin. And before Yedlin, all that hype went up. I, I prefer Sarkoti. He's, and he's becoming you know, a pretty, pretty big leader along the back line. You get a guy like Demarcus Beasley there, he's you know, automatically going to be, despite his age, going to be in the top conversation for top left back in the league. Jermaine Taylor, he's the big hole, I would say. I thought he gave the ball up too many times in uh, poor positions against uh, Columbus. And Raul Rodriguez is the new guy, and I am really high on him right now. He He's intelligent with his runs. He has a lot of vision. He moves the ball at, out of the back well, which is kind of unusual to see center backs being able to do that. And he's capable of these acrobatic tackles where he almost contorts his body to get around the player and make a clean tackle on the ball. So I think he he's the new guy coming into the lineup, and I think his ability to communicate in English and Spanish has really helped the back line. So I think of we've got three really good guys and then one eh <laughs> better. You know. One not so good. All right. Uh well you know what, before we let you go, we gotta get a, a score prediction from you. What do you think is going to be uh on the scoreboard at the final whistle? Uh I'm gonna say two one to the, the home team, Dynamo. Such a homer, Derek. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you gave us more credit than Andrew Marcinko did because oh, yeah. Andrew Andrew decided it was going to be 2-0. There's um, not going to be a, a Kaka uh, <laughs> grand goal or anything like that. Uh, I would never I would never count out this this creative group from from scoring a goal. I just, just want to give the boys some locker room. Too, all right, I'm trying to get them pumped up a little bit here. Let them know the haters are out here. Yeah, I you know after seeing Tyler Derrick though last week, I'm like thinking, yeah, it'd be really great if we score a goal. <laughs> you, you know, and with him, it's we keep saying like, man, this guy's having you know a career game. It, we we said that like three times last year. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Derek Stowers from Dynamo Theory, thanks so much for being with us. And um, you know, this is the only time we get to play you guys unless we meet in the. Uh, in the MLS Cup final. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so you know, thanks so much for being with us, and we really appreciate you helping us out this week. Yeah, no problem. I'm just happy to do it. Yep, thanks, Derek. All right, bye. Bye. And that'll just about do it for another exciting episode of the Mainland Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, big thanks to Derek Stowers from uh, 
the Dynamo Theory blog, our sister blog on SB Nation covering uh, the Houston Dynamo. And uh, thanks to you, Andrew, for being uh, with us again this week. And um, we'll see what happens on Friday against the Houston Dynamo. Yeah, thanks for having me, Michael. Go Lions. Go City.